Welcome to Talk Design Show, where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey, your host, and having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening and please enjoy. My guest today on Talk Design is Thad Reeves from A Grupo Architecture. Thad's uh, based in Dallas, Texas. And Thad and I met, oh, maybe about three years ago, I'd say. And then we had the pleasure of traveling around uh, El Paso together uh, earlier in uh, 2020, before we all got locked down in this world. Thad, welcome to Talk Design Podcast. Um, I'm going to have a bunch of questions for you, but thank you for being my guest. Absolutely. Thank you for, uh, for asking. Uh, it's a pleasure, man. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I learned about you, which was um, when we were in El Paso, um, was that uh, you could have been a photographer. Uh, I, I, I took all these photos when we were in El Paso in the houses, and then I look on your Instagram feed and I go, damn, how did he make them look so good? I realized that's why I'm not a photographer. <laughs> well, I'm not either, and I appreciate that. I, I, I actually try to work pretty hard on those, uh, and you know, it's a lot of fun doing that. I, I just, it's just something I kind of fell into recently. So. You clearly got an eye for balance and stuff, and I was talking to uh, – you know, Lenny, uh, Leonard Fomansky, and uh, I was talking to him and I said, have you seen Thad's photos? And he goes, yeah, man, he's got it. <laughs> so, That's a great compliment. That's awesome. Yeah, because Lenny's good. <laughs> my wife's actually the good one. Uh, she takes amazing photographs and especially people, things like that. I just, I, she does stuff without even trying and I, I marvel at it. That's, that's a lovely gift, eh? I think, you know, like one of the things that, is fascinating when you're a creative is you kind of expect to be able to be able to do more creative than you can really do like you, you find a sweet spot and I, I love this sort of thing when I when I'm talking to people I say I'm gonna ask it of you now but which is so you could have done a lot of different creative things clearly a creative guy I've seen your work it's fabulous it's like it's got diversity as well and then you go so why architecture? What? How'd the planets align? What happened? What that's went wrong? Good, what went right? That's a good question. Uh, it's a curse, really. But uh, <laughs> I, I grew up in, in, a, in, in the plains of Kansas, in the high plains of Kansas. My business partner, Andrew, grew up out in West Texas in Midland. And we met in architecture school. And we both sort of have similar stories in that, you know, there's a there's a, a growing up on the plains that sort of informs your your attitude about design, and then also sort of coming from families that are rural agrarian, farm families that are about being resourceful and and making things. And you know, I, both of us grew up from a young age with families where you know you just you made things and you had an interest in making. And I think that really and also uh, drawing. Um, and I, I don't know where that came from, although I do remember my father at a young age sort of showing me how to draft things and do things like that. But um, drawing and making things really were the foundation of it. And then, you know, once you go to architecture school, um, you start to learn, you know, that architecture is about completely different things than you thought it was about. <laughs> but 
but the things that, you know, stay with you are this, you know, growing up on the plains, the idea of space and light and, and making shelter in a place that, that doesn't have a lot of context, yeah. uh, you know, has, you know, some impact on you for sure. And then you, you know, you start to travel the world and see things and, and realize, you know, that people make space in different ways in different contexts and you add that a little bit of that in and, and yeah, that's, I think that's kind of how you, you, you come to, to what you do is the sum total of all, all your experiences. And so every time you travel now, do you travel with the eyes of an architect or, you know, like I, I, I my own experience. So like I used to design fashion and so, um, and I specialized for many years in women's fashion swimwear or high fashion swimwear. And, um, and then from there to like, on field and um you know um on water and stuff sportswear so america's cup yachts and stuff like that and i would see the world through these kind of like glasses that would be this mixture because my passion was always architecture and, and design but i would see the world through different lenses and I would be like business minded, be going, okay, where's the fashion inspiration? And then on the other side of it, I'd be drawn to, oh, well, I just really want to be in the mountains with those cabins kind of thing. So when you see the world, do you, which way do you see it? It's an interesting question because I think when I was younger and in school and traveling, I, I really tried to see it through the lens of design and sort of pure architecture. You know, you go to see the, the sort of, you know, make the, um, the pilgrimage to see all these great buildings and, and you learn a lot. Um, and I think as I've gotten older and especially more interested in construction, I think I, I, I learn more and find more from things that are a little bit more, um, uh, and for instance, you go to New York, you walk yep. through lower Manhattan and, you know, you can go see fantastic, beautiful new buildings by Jean Nouvel and, and whoever else. And, I, I started to realize that it's the little weird buildings that join together in some odd way that somebody made some gate. It's not even an architect. And you go, Oh, that's how they solved that problem. Yeah. And I think I, or I've, I've started to learn more from things like that than things that are consciously thought about as design. And I love going to see beautiful homes and buildings and things like that. But I just find more, I think more inspiration in things that you find every day, wandering through the city, things that, that maybe, somebody who isn't an architect or designer thought of it, solved the problem in a certain way and, and come at it from a pragmatic standpoint sometimes. It, that's a really fascinating thing. Cause when you grew up, you said, you know, like you built things with your hands, you created things, you know, and problem solving is it, it, it's like a, it's a skill. It's a key, key, key art and skill. And certainly of architecture, it's that, probably comes into its fore there in so many ways that people don't realize. But the the fact of the construction side of something and how it's put together and pulled together and it doesn't always work. It doesn't, it, it's not definitive that it will work. So then you have to break it to work it again and you have to break it to work it again, which from what you said with you know, growing up, that's how you lived i suppose is um i did a similar thing i spent years making cardboard models like of all things houses buildings bats birds just freeform models 
Yeah, making is, I mean, it's the greatest thing besides travel. Um, when you're a kid, I think allowing a, a young person to, you know, experiment with things like that and find a way to manipulate materials and solve problems is one of the best things you can, you can do for a young person. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it makes a big difference and it certainly t changes your approach to the world because you, you um, have a can do problem solving attitude. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the great thing about an architectural education or, or that sort of problem solving thinking is that you can apply that to any, any discipline. I think it's probably, you know, one of the reasons why you, you know, have, have moved back and forth between disciplines because it's, it's the same sort of mindset. That, that sure. mindset. I, pe people ask me, how did you end up, you know, designing houses? And I go, well, I started designing clothes, but people live in them as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's my smart ass answer, but yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly and it's got to be comfortable or not comfortable it's got to be functional or not functional it's yeah. it's part of the journey you know yeah. um that's yeah but yeah that that kind of area of it so with with your traveling um you've traveled the world obviously and you know you were saying to me before you've been in australia and stuff as well any particular places that would have a big influence that on your work, like when you're, let's say you took on a project today and the people might be from a space and then would that, how would that influence your work? Uh, you, you, did you mean somebody might be from a different place? Is that what the Maybe, you know how we were talking um, before we started recording about, um, you know, in America, you kind of have these pockets of uh, nationalities as yeah, well. Yeah you know, like we said about maybe Fredericksburg or somewhere like that. If you were to do something in a pocket or in a, where, where somebody has a strong cultural tie to another space and right. you know that space from from your traveling, how would it influence your work would be the question. Or would it even influence your work? I, I don't know. I think, it, I think it's probably more rooted in the, the place where you were working immediately. So, you know, there's a, there's a person – there could be a culture that comes from, we're talking about central Texas. There could be a Germanic, you know, influence from settlers that came and there's a, a way of building there that has evolved over the last couple hundred years. And I think that the culture of that location that's evolved is probably more influential and more important to key on than the German aspect of it. Um, gotcha. But you know, like you said, it's, it's, you know, I, I think, you know, light, in space, get the proportion of a space right, and the light, the, the arrangement of spaces, and and you're you're well ahead of the game. And I think those are completely independent of style or location. Um, it's it's just it's something that we really focus on in our work is thinking about how 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 light comes into a space, and if you get that proportion of the room right, you know it can it can take a lot of different changes. Meaning, yeah. People can occupy the space, yeah. they can change the color, they can change the furniture. But if the bones and the, and the sure. basic um, sort of layout and, and, and form of it are correct. Your structure, if your structure's, yeah, if your structure and your flow and form have got it, then, then the rest works. So here's a question. If you turn up to a, a client and it's a piece of land and it's a new build, you know, it's not a renovation, it's a new build. and um, when you when you walk on the land or with them, maybe on your own or maybe with them, what happens? What happens in your head? Where where does it go? 
as far as the process? Yeah, I suppose. But, you know, like, um, well, I could give you sort of things that happen with me, but like, yeah, there's, there's something you, you walk on that land and all of a sudden there's things that are happening, you know, it's like, where does your mind go to what happens next kind of thing? Yeah, it's all, it's all context. And I think, especially it's funny because we're, we just started a project in North central Texas that's out on some acreage and, you know, it's, it's remote, but there's a lot going on, you know, and there's always something to respond to, you know, whether it's the sun or it's the wind or the trees or the views. And, and I think, you know, when you're faced with that type of situation without an urban context, without a, you know, or a suburban context, um, you really have to construct the context. You have to add to it in a way that doesn't work against or destroy what's there but you have to provide some sort of organization and framework, a way to start setting some limitations and some rules. And, and, you know, it's always great to, to, to take stock of the kind of natural characteristics and then think about, you know, what, what does the project want to be? And, and I think the conversations with the client are key. I mean, um, we talked a little bit about this early on and that um, you're looking for the right people to, to work with because their, their vision combined with your, your skill set is what makes a unique project. And you know, I've got client, not clients, I've got friends that, that work um, and do a lot of speculative projects. And mm-hmm. some of them sort of bemoan the, the, the moment when, when clients get involved or buyers get involved and want to start changing things. And they, they just want to, you know, do the project and, and be done. And so they're always complaining about clients. And I, I've never understood that because we've always had clients and, We've also done a few spec projects, and I know just from from being on both sides of that that projects are always better when a client gets involved. Yeah, it's particularly a good client because they bring things to the table, and you work together and collaborate on it, and you come up with something that by yourselves you never would have thought of. And, and yeah, that's you've got a journey in their shoes as well. Yeah, yeah. there's empathy involved in in design and in understanding that connection with your client and listening to them and, and sort of translate. And a lot of times they give you ideas that, and they don't even know they're giving you ideas. Yeah. And they say, Oh, you know, when I was a kid, I thought, I always thought it'd be cool to have a a room that was like a tree house or, you know, a secret room. I mean, it could be any number of things that they think is a throwaway comment. And you go, Oh, well, that's actually an interesting idea. That we could probably do that with your attic space or we could do that with. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's the, as an answer, like it, it, it resonates heavily with me. I, I don't go to site to talk about the, the structure as much as I go to talk about their life. Yeah. And, and the fabric that's made them who they are. Cause then when you get to do that, you find their nuances and they get to, they get to get excited with their story and all the way along, you're really throwing bait in the water and seeing what fish you pull up and going, does this fish fit over here with this, yeah. you know, like, and playing with those ideas. Um, that's the joy of, that's the joy of, what well, it's the joy of what we do, but it's also such a humbling and, you know, such a, an honor to be able to do it for somebody or to do it with somebody, not for them, with yeah. them. Mm. Absolutely. It, 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 it with is the key, key yeah. component to that. 
it, it's that combined journey as you say like um i've done spec homes as well and i go the combined journey of um creating uh something that's unique and a for them for them and and for their future journey you know that that's the other part is this future journey they're going to take with that structure is really key um and and they may have a time limit on that and you know or it might be long or it may be short um yeah, that's the joy of it, without a doubt. So, tell me with your, um, I suppose, design philosophy. If you had to sum it up, what would your design philosophy be? And you did just did that somewhat in what you just said. But like, let's go urban. Let's go where in an urban setting, and um, you know, neighbourhoods have flavour, and yeah. people move to neighbourhoods because of the flavour of a neighbourhood. Um, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's that's also an interesting thing to think about because, and I did touch on that a little bit before, because I think the constant refrain in our work really is about natural light and, and space and how you deal with a section of the building to, 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 to manipulate that. And, um, and that sort of varies through, you know, whether you're in a rural site or you're in, a, in an urban site and you have obviously much more limitations in the urban site. Um, it, it's funny that you we're doing this today because I just got a call from a, a, a client that wants to talk about doing a, a development, a suburban development of a 60 or 70 homes Wow! where we would design um, all of the homes, but, but probably, you know, seven or eight permutations of. You design uh, a neighborhood. Design a neighborhood. And, and I, you know, I had, had a great conversation with the, this person in that, sort of explaining, you know, if you look at a lot of architects' websites, you know, you're going to have a lot of, you know, fantastic homes. And a lot of these houses, they're like, you know, they're like rock stars. Mm -hmm. they're, they're big, you know, moves, a lot of fantastic things going on. But designing a neighborhood is that you need them to be a little bit more um, calm and, and, and that you're, you're thinking about a different scale and you're thinking about the flavor of that neighborhood and that they can't all be rock stars. They've got to, some of them have to sort of be a little bit more demure. And I think that's, a, you know, finding the appropriate tenor yeah. for a project is, 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 is an art form and a, and, a, and a key too. And it goes back to sort of listening to their problem, but then also understanding um, the sort of problems of the, the world that we live in, you know, and, and just sort of paying attention to those things. Um, yeah. Security and community and, um, yeah, the the that whole kind of and in designing a neighborhood, you know, like that's uh, that'd be amazing because you, yeah, you've got to give it so much diversity in its fabric, but enough connection that it kind of feels together. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm as excited about the the landscape component of that as anything else because you know you think about a lot of the neighborhoods. Anybody thinks about a you know a neighborhood that they really like. Yep. Many of the things that they that they talk about are the landscape, and that engenders a, an incredible feel. You know, going into you know a neighborhood with a lot of trees and, and shade, and and you get the scale ride of those uh, of those landscape elements, and that almost like the buildings could be whatever they want. You know, if you get that yes. part right. Yes. Yes. So yeah. If you get the re the rest of it right. Wow. It's that. I love that. That's a great answer. Great answer. Um. Something else that we talked about earlier, which uh, is interesting, is um, so you, got, you have a fascination with aviation. 
<laughs> and yeah. uh, and a love of aviation. We were just talking about John Smith down in uh, New Zealand. With aviation, does it have any influence over how you you know view architecture? Hmm. Or is it just a, just a separate sideline and you don't dirty the waters? I, I think when I was younger, it certainly did much more. I mean, it just the way I drew things, the way I thought about how things went together certainly were, were inf heavily influenced, I think, by aircraft, aviation. Um, but um, probably less so now. I think it's probably a little bit more separate at this point. And, and, and maybe that's a good thing because... Um, you know, sometimes it's good to kind of keep those, those passions separate. Yeah. yeah. Don't dirty the waters. Um, especially when you run a business, it's, it's so hard to get away from what sure. you do and, and to clear your head and to have a, a place to go and whether it's surfing or. Yeah. Or, or skiing or whatever it is or bike riding. Yeah. I, um, I remember where I met you, which was at that house in San Marcos where the artists lived and, yeah. um, it was a fascinating home. My dad's an artist and uh, like a fine artist. And um, I remember that you had the, it was kind of pavilioned. And then at the front, there was that pavilion that was, um, you're going to tell me what it was clad in, but it was, it was that white semi see-through like um, uh, polycarbonate. Yeah. And, um, and the, the softness of the light and the amount of light was something that blew me away in there. Like it was, it was such an experience. And I, I remember going in there and this, when I was saying to you before about how you view the world, my dad being an artist, when I realized it was an artist's residence, I viewed it from my, from my dad's eyes as such. And I went knowing what, where his studio is, I went, Oh my God, this, this is, it blocked out the exterior world in a lot of ways, but it it actually was like working inside the light bulb instead of outside of the light bulb. And it took me on this journey that was just, it, yeah, as I say, it was fascinating. Tell me about that property. Like what, what happened? Because fascinating people to design for as well. Yeah, that's that's an amazing description of that, that project, uh, working inside the light bulb. Can I use that? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's what it was like. It was like you'd climbed inside the light bulb and you were in the working heart of it. Um, that, that, that makes me very happy to hear that because um, that is a special project and very special people. Um, and I'm glad you got to meet them. They, the, the, the clients in this, this home are, are in their late eighties Yeah, and, and we're, the home tour weekend were there the whole time talking to people and, and just loving it. And I'm, I'm glad you got the chance to meet them because they were fantastic, inspiring. Like, and, and we talk about clients and that, and that house is absolutely, you know, does not exist without them as clients. Um, mm. there was an existing home that they built in the 1980s. It was sort of a, um, sort of a soft modern, um, home. And it's on a large site, a couple of acres. And the house where they originally sited, they pushed it all the way to the back. When they contacted us about doing uh, an addition to it, the only place that made any sense was to do the addition in, in the front of the house, which is a really interesting proposition because most of the time you're, you're it's like, okay, we're going to go on top. We're going to go behind. That's yeah. You know? So it was an opportunity 
to completely transform the whole image and, 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 and experience of this house. So the two towers that sit in front of the house, one becomes the studio, one becomes the, um, the sort of um, a working studio, one becomes a, an art gallery, actually. Yeah. And the library upstairs become, uh, it's one of the most transformative, I think, um, renovation projects that, that you would find. And um, she absolutely was, was adamant that it had to be white. Yeah. <laughs> All, and it had to be... Um, and we, we tried, like, how about this nice tone of gray? No, it had to be nope. white. <laughs> but she wanted something that was, was sculptural. She didn't, you know, that was her her um, her vision, you know, of, of sort of pushing us in that direction. Um, but but working, you know, and, and sort of working through the light and the section and everything like that was just, it was just a, a joy to, to provide them with, you know, something that, that they had in their mind and discussed the components of, but when we showed them how that came together and to see their, their reaction, uh, it was fantastic. But the really, and then the sort of the, the, the best part of the house too, again, being them is how they, uh, curate the house. Oh yeah. Like they, they're artists. They also go on these junkets to, to find incredible artifacts and art and, things and they, the house is like a gallery that changes every three or four months and so every time you go there it's different it's like a museum but you don't feel like you're living in a museum it um, was it was certainly one of the most eclectic um inspiring um and curated um environments i've ever been in um the building itself was as i say it was like once i got in there it was like that, that thing of being inside the light bulb as opposed, but the, the being inside the light bulb was, you know, all the filament was all the stuff that they had and the diversity from the sort of modern to the old, to the, to the, um, the emotional diversity in their artwork as well. Like, you know, the, the shapes and the sizes and the colors and the, the strength of their art, as well as the softness and the, the simplicity of a book but then that book would have been curated with how it was presented to you. I just, up in the library, I just, yeah, there were so many parts that it's the kind of place that if, if it was, if they were clients of mine, I'd probably be booking in to see them, you know, every couple of months just to be part of that journey. Just Yeah. And, and luckily Andrew who lives there gets to do that. And, and you have to be prepared because you can't stop by and say hi for 10 minutes. It's, oh. it's a, it's a three-hour yep. affair with wine and, 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 and a great conversation. So Yeah, and uh, yeah, just beautiful. It, um, what was, where, where can people see that project? Uh, on your website? It's on our website at agrupo.com. Um, it's also been published in, in several, I think, Arch Daily, several other yeah. um, blogs or, or publications. And there's, I think, links to, to that on our website as well. It's uh, yeah, it's it's really worth looking up. So for you and the audience there, if you're an architect or a designer or just want to be inspired, get inspired by that project in particular. It's got so much going on. You couldn't you couldn't spend enough time in there um, to really even to, to website, soak it in. And on our website, it's uh, listed under the Layman Residence. L A M A N. Okay, cool. Layman Residence. Um, with uh, you know, with phenomenal homes or, or in, you know incredible spaces, 
one of the things that uh, when you get to go to them as a, an observer is you you only really often get to see a layer and um, you know like you see the first sort of layer of something because you don't have time and you don't get to uh, always breathe in the space you know like I always go when I get to a space if it's um even if uh, even if I don't think it's that special I I try and center myself and I take a breath and I close my eyes and I go okay well let this all talk to me let me get in this space let's just pull it all down and and see what it is and i remember doing that in there and that's when i decided to um see it from my father's eyes um if i was my dad what would this be like what would what would be you know what would be the outcome and i loved it also with those guys just how as I say like the eclecticness and the braveness of what they had and that's why you got to do such a sculptural um start to the property and yeah something special really special um from there tell sorry go interesting that you say that about about how you approach the visit and sort of centering yourself and and one thing that made me think of 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 a project that i I visited a few times uh the chapel by uh the architect lake bousier and uh, france and i've been three four times different times of the year. And it was, it was such an interesting lesson to visit a project multiple times mm-hmm. and at different times of the year, because there's sort of, the, you go to a new project, you get the initial excitement and it's like adrenaline and you're, you're so excited about it. And, and by the second or third time, you know, that's still there, but then you, you start to really sit with a project and, and, and notice things that you didn't the times before and see things in a different way. And I think that's such a valuable lesson to all of us, I think, to um, about architecture and that it is about experience and it is reflective of the time that you go and your moods and and, and just sort of being aware of how um, your mindset when you go see places. And, and, and I'm sure you've got clients, too, that, that come to you and say, wow, you know, we've been in the house for a year or two years and we never noticed that the light does this or that you know, this part was thought about or things like that. And that's, that's a fantastic reward to see people um, recognize and acknowledge their experiences and over time. I recently had that with a house that people have been living in for about five years. And they said, you know, we were sitting and we'd just been doing whatever. And we suddenly got what that was about. They yeah. said, yeah, we were talking about something and you came up and, then they they were talking about a part in their house and they said and suddenly we this is five years about five years on we suddenly got what you meant when you kind of took us down this journey yeah and we suddenly it all they they said we've experienced it but it all suddenly came together the conversation everything piled in on top and i was having a giggle with them about it i said i said man i had to not fight you, but like really hold on to that point because it could have got lost. Yeah. Could have got lost. And um, I, I was sticking on it, you know, and, and I was doing the almost, oh, you've got to trust me on this one. Um, Which you but, hate yeah. to do. You don't ever really want to try to go there with that, but yeah. sometimes like, just trust me. I was at that. I was really close to that point. I've got a job at the moment where um, on paper it's got this. Uh, the, the house will present itself as a garage, 
because yeah. that's just how it presents itself. I can't change that. Um, and you will see the house from the, the road looking down towards a garage. And uh, the, the boundary's got two angles in it. And I've got the, the, the bound, I've got the garage following one angle and the house following another angle. And um, anyway, and the client, she said to me the other couple of weeks back, you've just got to straighten it up. I can't deal with it. It's not symmetry. It's like da da. And I said, you know what? I need to take you there. And I need to walk that land with you again and show you why this is. I know it looks weird on paper, but I just need to show you what will happen if I do the other. And I yep. did, and she's like, oh, "I knew you. I knew there had to be a reason." She said, "I, I just, but it still mucks with my mind because it's not a straight line, you know." It's like, <laughs> yep. But that's part of seeing what they don't see. Yeah. Um, in architecture and in business, um, what is something that uh, you would have loved to have known, you know, ten years ago, that you know now? that uh, would benefit anybody who's in this business or in any business that um, is to do with creative? What, what would be some little tip or insight or hidden thing or discovery that you've made? Well, one of the biggest things I would say is if, if you're thinking about starting your own business and going out and doing it, then, then go do it. There's no time like the present, and I wish that we'd have done it sooner. Right. And, and and, and it's quite rewarding. And, and as you know, it's stressful and wonderful and all these things at the same time. Um, so if, if anyone out there is thinking about doing it, figure out how to, how to make it happen. And don't, don't wait because um, starting early is good. Um, you know, the interesting thing about that as well is that we started our office. And then at some other point, we almost started another office because we started construction about 10 years ago. So uh -huh. that other as you sort of get your your legs as a firm going uh, from the architecture side then we were you know smart enough to <laughs> add more complication to it at some point <laughs> in the way and that that introduces a whole other learning curve that 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 you know it's a, it's a risk and so um you know taking risk i think is calculated risk to get you where you want to go i think is one of the biggest lessons as well um, and not learning not to be afraid of, of, of those challenges and just sort of trying to see them as opportunities. Um, mm. Do you wrap yourself with people, good people? What's the go there? Um, absolutely. Our, the projects that we are, have been able to do would, would have never come to fruition without the guys in our office. Um, also, you know, doing the construction aspect of it, all of our, it's very difficult to find talented design minds and younger people, but also younger people that have uh, a construction mindset and construction component as well, in, or even experience doing construction. And so we've got our, our team is just, I just can't say enough about how diverse their skill sets are and their attitudes about, you know, taking on things that they've never done before um, and taking, you know, taking some risk and, and, and being up to the challenge. It's absolutely imperative, um, working with good people. It's, um, it's interesting, you know, cause if you're a general contractor as well, um, one of the joys I have is, is I love working with builders 
in the sense of so in in a project the team is the client and then somewhere in there there's you know us and our firm and and then there's the the builder who's actually going to make this drawing real <laughs> um and and they're going to be really responsible for the outcomes and um having a synergy between them you know and the engineer and you know the, those other people but having a synergy between those people it takes a great understanding of uh you know when you when you become the general contractor i suppose you're you're in more control of that but prior to that you're, it takes a great understanding to to get everybody into the same team and um and get the flow happening yeah one of the biggest challenges when you start to become the contractor is that all of a sudden, you know, as, when you're the architect or designer, nine, 99% of the time, you're, you're the guy who solves the problems and you're the, you're, you're the, hopefully, you know, having dinner with your clients still a year later and, and uh, you're the good guy and yeah. that, that makes things better for them. And, when you're the contractor, one of the hardest things to learn is that you're the person who delivers bad news. <laughs> uh, things are going to cost more, and it's going to it's going to take more time. And 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 you know, coming from an architecture background, you know that that's a when you're all of a sudden not the good guy anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a big learning curve to get over about how to to inter interface with clients in a different way. Um, that would be a great tip for people who are going down that road is yeah. to realize that there's two, there's two faces to the conversation yeah. and, um, and, and being able to do it empathetically and it's building. Like I always say to clients, the builder doesn't know what your project's going to cost until they've finished and paid the last bill. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they're taking a good shot at it at the start. And, and a very educated, good shot at it at the start. But at the end of it, they will know how much it's cost because over the eight to 12 months or whatever that your project might take to build, um, there's going to be changes and there's going to be price rises and there's going to be stuff that can't be locked down and it's going to be unexpected things. You know, you're going to dig a little deeper and it's going to because of rock or whatever. They don't know what it's going to cost exactly. Um, yeah. And they'd love to be able to tell you it's definitely an, an amount, but it's fluid. It's fluid what you do. Yeah. I have a, a, one last question, which is around how long should a house last for? Oh, when wow. you do a home for someone, how long should it stand for? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And, I, you know, I remember, I think, Several years ago, Richard Rogers had that sort of quote about the lifespan of, of new buildings being about 50 years. Um, and, you know, I don't with the houses. I live in a hundred plus year old house right now, and it's certainly not energy efficient or, or um, you know, has any of the, the sort of way people live in the modern world. But um, I feel like uh, that the longevity of a house is probably not tied to the building technology necessarily. I think it's probably more tied to the economics of a neighborhood. And, um, you know, I think we're designing better homes than we used to. I think we've got better technology to craft these homes than we used to. So 
from a, a, from a technological standpoint, they, they should last longer, but you see so many times, you know, neighborhoods changing and, mm-hmm. you know, values of, of land driving people's decisions to tear down just absolutely, you know, perfect buildings or, or you know, not yeah. bad buildings, disrepair yeah. to be torn down. So um, I, I hope it's at least, you know, 100 years or 150 or 200 years, but we'll see. I guess I won't be around. It's a, it's a piece that fascinates me as well. Like how do you design something that is, becomes a core of something that lasts for, you know, hundreds of years maybe. Um, yeah. But yes, the change in neighborhoods and um, people's wealth and then, you know, like if they spend a lot to go somewhere, like we're, we're, sometimes you'll hear of people, you know, oh, well, they, they bought that place for $5 million and they're tearing it down. Well, you know, if they've got five million to do that and another five million to build it again, then why wouldn't they have what they wanted? Yeah, because yeah. they they bought the spot; they didn't buy the house, and um, you know, it doesn't necessarily meet their needs. It's a really, I find it a really interesting conversation to kind of get together, and sort of it, it has so much diversity in it that um, there's no great, there's no one answer. It's just, yeah, how do, how does it work and I see often people, um, certainly when we just look at, you know, like estate homes that are just built into estates that are the cheapest way to build them, they won't have the longevity in in just their construction and materials and stuff, regardless. Um, They won't last the distance. Um, And one of the things that when you employ somebody to do the design as a separate kind of item that you should, well, not should, it'd be nice to be aiming for something that uh, has that long legacy part to it. Yeah, I think, you know, as, as any sort of architect or designer, you kind of hope that your your creations last beyond you and yeah, and at least a couple of generations. You know, one interesting thought that I've, I've had lately too is about this idea of maintenance and how clients expect Everybody wants no low maintenance or no maintenance. Zero if they can get it. Zero, yes. But but that's never really the case and how a lot of it's just the way things are. People are not don't have the skill set or the mm. the wherewithal to, to maintain certain things. And so I, I wonder how that will affect you know as we move forward the longevity of homes and, and the type of maintenance that, that people perform on them. I think that's a really great question, you know, like to to keep questioning. It um, is, is, yeah, what, what kind of maintenance? And is it within the homeowner's scope or is it within a contractor's scope? And um, at what, which point do you break each one each way? That's a, a really good, a really, really good point to focus on. Well, I'm going to thank you for all those insights because that was fabulous, man. I really enjoyed it. And um, hopefully get to uh, see you sometime next year and uh, or maybe maybe get you to get down under to maybe you know wings over Wanaka or something like that that'd be an an experience Um, and get down into you know New Zealand there and and maybe go to the uh, I don't even know how you say that Omaka um, the the Omaka like John Smith Museum or the the piece of that museum that you were telling me about with the warbirds um it'd be pretty fascinating pretty fascinating um thank you so much man richard's magic arrows is brought to you by the architect marketing institute
Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.